Hey everyone, welcome to episode 27 of ROH Cast. My name's Harry, I'm the web designer and co-owner of ROHworld.com. As usual, I'm here with Stephen, the other co-owner and the editor of the website. Hi everyone. And joining us today, we have a very special guest, uh, the only undefeated man on the Ring of Honor roster. He's part of the Embassy Limited. Tommaso Champa is with us here today. Tommaso, how are you doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. No, thank you for, for coming on. Um, I suppose we should kick off by talking about uh, your, your last... Uh, Big match in Ring of Honor um, at the 10th anniversary show against Jay Lethal, um, for the, obviously for the TV title. Um, what, what did you think of the match? How, how did you think it went? Uh, I would have liked it if I uh, had walked out with the title in my possession and the actual, <laughs> you know, uh, the actual title holder of the, uh, the Ring of Honor TV championship. But unfortunately, all I could do was take the belt. I felt like I earned the belt, so I took it with me. <laughs> Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, uh, have you got any intentions on giving it back, or do you, do you uh, think you're just gonna keep it with you for a while? No, I, I read on the website that I'm supposed to bring it back in Florida, so uh, I guess you'll have to tune in to find out if it happens. But I don't have any <laughs> intentions or plans of handing it over. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, I suppose now we should sort of go back and talk talk about your your, your start in the the wrestling business, really. And uh, you know, what, what's sort of your earliest wrestling memory from when you were a child, sort of growing up? As far as just being a fan and watching? Yeah. Uh, I remember a couple of different things that really stand out. One, uh, my dad would take me to the local shows at the Garden. I grew up in Boston. And uh, we had went one time, and it started to somewhat expose the business in, a, in some weird way. I had watched uh, Sid Vicious and uh, Undertaker in a casket match. And uh, Sid Vicious came out victorious. And then... It was like maybe six months later on television, they kept saying how Undertaker, you know, he's building twice. I think it was his match with Kamala. And they were saying how he's never lost a casket match. <laughs> I remember saying, well, that's, that's a lie. I saw him lose. You know, There's no way. I saw him get buried. They're like, I, I know I saw this happen. And my dad had to fill me in that, you know, if, if it's not on TV, then it didn't really happen. It didn't matter. So <laughs> that was my first live show memory, I want to say. And then I remember very vividly being a big Bret Hart fan and uh, watching Saturday Night Main Event when he wrestled Papa Shango and literally crying as I watched, thinking, how is he ever going to beat this crazy man with face paint and a skull <laughs> and what's the smoke? Like, who is this guy's not even human. Like <laughs> Bret Hart has no chance. And he took one of those hard buckles forward and they're putting it over on commentary. How, you know, you might've cracked the sternum in his ribs. I was literally like coughing as I was feeling his. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember, I mean, I was a, I've been a fan literally since I can, uh, since I can remember, I don't have a good memory um, to boot. So the fact that I remember anything is, is, uh, is a plus. But those two memories, and as I started in the business, I really, uh, I'll never forget uh, uh, Benoit and uh, uh, Kurt Angle's match that they had at the Garden. Was just that was like to me the epitome of that's what I want to do one day. Hmm. When did you sort of realize that you wanted to be a wrestler from from just being a fan? You know, thinking you actually wanted to be in the ring yourself. Uh, from the get go, man, I was uh, I was kind of a real punk of a kid. I wasn't like the punk who picked on kids, but I was the, the hot-tempered one who, if a kid picked on him, I had a lot to pick on. Like, my mom 
cut my hair legitimately not joking with a bowl over my head. <laughs> um, that's, that's like, that's a shoot. You know, she literally would take a Tupperware round bowl, put it over my head and cut my hair. And I had to, <laughs> I had to get glasses. And of course I didn't get like the cool ones. I got like the huge glasses that had like, you know, them rubber bands that used to be popular. With, I don't think they were, they were popular with the geeks. I had one of those to keep it on because I played sports. So I would get picked on for everything, but then I would fight because that's all I knew. I was I didn't I wasn't good with coming back with comebacks. I would just fight kids, and uh, <laughs> everyone knew I was a wrestling fan. I, I would mimic wrestlers during my my actual real life fights in <laughs> middle school. So I, I always knew, man. You know, like I I did report. Back in like uh, I was like third grade, we had to do a report of like tell your backstory and you had to predict your future. And I still have the report to this day where I predict like I'm gonna be a pro wrestler and I'm gonna be just like Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan and stuff. So I just it's <laughs> something I always uh, I always wanted to do. Mm. Tell us a bit now about how you you know started training. Where where did you start training? And, uh, sort of what what time frame? Where, when did you? Uh... Start your training. Uh, there, was, there was like a start, stop, start, stop to it where I had, uh, when I was about 15, I was in like sophomore year, I found out that Killer Kowalski had a school in Malden, which was literally down the street from my house. So I went down there and I would sit and watch class and I told Killer, you know, Killer, I want to sign up and he was really cool. He'd sit with me. But Killer's big thing was, uh, you, you know, you should graduate high school first. And he was in the process at that time. I want to say it was about like 2000, 2001, where he was going to shut down his school and he was going to move to North Andover uh, and tie, you know, have ties with a company called Chaotic Wrestling. So mm. I, I, it's not an official start, but I, I, that summer I watched class. And it's funny because Eddie Edwards and Flick Wagner Brown are like the two main stars at the time. And I asked Eddie when I started with Ring of Honor, I was like, do you remember this little geeky kid watching class? And he had no recollection of me, but I remember him because he used to have like real colorful long hair and he would do every flip, you know, you could even consider thinking up in your head. He was like, what Pac is now is what Eddie Edwards was then with crash pads and stuff. <laughs> so I started with that. Then I didn't, I didn't join because Killer had said, you know, wait till you graduate. When I graduated high school, I didn't know where Killer went. Uh, so I met a guy named Arch Kincaid at a Bally Total Fitness that I was working at who had like a reverse mullet haircut, bleach blonde. And when I approached him and asked him what he does, he, he happened to wrestle at Killers, and he gave me all the info I needed, so I went down there. That was 2003. As soon as I graduated high school, I bought a $500 van, and I started taking the trek up to Killers and uh, or Chaotic Wrestling and started my career. Mm. Uh, first fan question for you here from Mr. Small Package on a forum. He says, so far, who has taught you the most about the business? Oof. I don't know that that's one man. Uh, Killer and Harley Race were both really good and helpful uh, as far as sitting with me. Obviously, they couldn't do stuff in the ring with me, but sitting with me and spending a lot of time talking, you know, telling me stories and watching matches. Todd Sinclair is the guy that I – he <clears throat> was the head official at Chaotic Wrestling when I started, and uh, – this guy, to this day, I pick his brain. It's funny, like, you sometimes, at least for me, when I had started, I would have never thought to ask a commentator or a referee for their opinion, uh, just being naive and not knowing. But when you think about it, a referee like Todd Sinclair, who's in the ring with Samoa Joe and Daniel Bryan and CM Punk for all of their main events, he's 
the closest thing to the action as yeah. getting one of those guys to actually sit with you and talk. Uh, so he's been really influential for me as far as, uh, I, you know, just pick his brain and say, what am I not doing in the ring that other guys are doing that I want to be as good as. And, mm. uh, I've been doing that with him back and forth for, you know, seven, eight years. And he's been really helpful. So I guess I would put him at the top of the list. I mean, I mean there's tons of others. Everybody you wrestle, you, you pull something from, you know, my time with yeah. Al Snow, I pulled stuff from, but I would, I guess if I had to pick one guy, I would say between, you know, sitting with Harley and, and, and killer and, and chatting with Todd Sinclair a lot on the road. Mm. But what do you remember from your, your first match? Do you remember much? And do you know who it was against? Or was it just a I bit do. of a I, I, I have the weird memory that, like, I don't know what a venue looks like that I was at last weekend, but I know, <laughs> you know, the, the specifics. I, I went down to, um, to New Jersey for a company called IWF, Independent Wrestling Federation, because they're the only independent one, apparently. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was... I, I do, I forget the promoter's name, um, but I went down with Arch Kincaid, which was cool because he was the one who, as I said, told me about killers in the first place. So I kind of became like a little protege of his. So we drove down to Jersey, which to me was like, whoa, a six hour road trip, my first show. And then I get there and I thought the way it was pitched is it was a vet who's going to really help you out. And I was there with a kid who it was like his third match ever. But I had been training for like over a year at this point. And this kid's been training for like three weeks. And he was like probably 140 pounds soaking wet, really <laughs> bleachy white hair, but it wasn't bleach. It was just like the Casper type hair. His name was Pete Hanover. I don't think he wrestled anymore. I tried looking him up probably like a year ago just to see. And it, I mean, it was dreadfully bad, but for a first match of two new guys, I guess it was passable. You know, they brought me back and whatnot. But my first match ever was Pete Hanover and, uh, I was Thomas Penmanship, and uh, it, it was like probably six minutes of two green guys not knowing what the hell they were doing and just hoping to get by the night. Mm. It was good. But, what sort of time frame was that? Uh, 2007? The first, uh, let's see, in 2000, 2003, I started training. But unfortunately for me, I was a, a big time, not a big time, I was, I mean, I was as good as you can be for a, a high school football player who didn't make it any further. But I played high school football, you know, and, and did re- relatively well with it. But because of it, I had banged up my knees good. So I started training in 2003 and then discovered I needed two knee surgeries. So I didn't actually have a match until 2005. That was January 2005 is when I had my first singles match. And then, I, you know, I started doing tags and battle rails and stuff like that. So hmm. it's been uh, just past my seventh year wrestling now. Right, that's cool. And uh, late that year, 2005, you appeared on, on SmackDown, didn't you? And then you signed a, de- a developmental contract uh, in 2007. What what was your time in, in the WWE system like? Uh, you know, I, I wish I could have sat with myself from 21 years old and talked to him and prepped him because I was clueless. Um, so my time there was, was not good. It was... Uh, it was actually like far from good. It was pretty miserable. Um, I was just, when I had got signed, I was on a real, like you said, I was on a fast track because you figure if I debuted in 2005 and I was on TV for WWE that same year and then signed by 2007, I was on this extremely fast track, but at the same time, I wasn't ready to be on that track. Yeah. I think I appeared ready because physically I had continued to get myself in better shape and, you know, I could cut an okay promo and I could, 
fundamentally get around the ring okay, but when it came down to like, am I ever going to make a company a lot of money? I wasn't anywhere near ready. And as soon as I got to Kentucky and I was living on my own halfway across the country, it was like this harsh reality of everybody here is four inches taller and 20 pounds or 40 pounds heavier. And they're like, they know who they are. They're grown men. And you're just like, I just, I didn't develop, you know, mentally or like this, a maturity level at, at a young age. Like I, I guess I would have hoped. So yeah. my time there was rough, man. I just, I was only there for like seven months and uh, I had badly uh, sprained my ankle when I was there and uh, that kind of hindered me. They made me a manager for a while to kind of cover it up and it was just, it was a tough time. I mean, I had like two or three good moments that I remember and I'll always be like, yes, at least I had that, but I definitely hope that I get a go around again at it some uh, some other time down the future, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um Coming forward now to sort of Ring of Honor time, I mean, you had a couple of dark matches in, I believe it was 2007 and 2009, wasn't it? How did uh, the, those matches uh, come about? Yeah, the first was 2000, might have been 2006. It was before being on WWE, and that was through Todd Sinclair. That was, uh, they were in, at BU, and they used to run at, at Boston University. And uh, I literally got a call. I got texts from him that day just saying, hey, if you're around, I might be able to find something for you. So I said, cool. And I got a call from him and it had to be like 6.30. And he was like, pre-show's going on at 7. Can you get here in 30 minutes and have a match? And I was like, yes. So I drove in, you know, in horrible Boston traffic and got to the show, which was a Friday night. And I got there just in time. I, like, I remember literally getting there, not, not even introducing myself to anyone. I had no time. It was just like saying hi to Todd. He was like, you can, you can meet Gabe and then later, you know, just put your stuff on. So I put my stuff on. I wrestled Grizzly that day. And, um, and I got, before anything really could have come about, I got signed by WP. And then uh, after that, it took me. It's tough. When you get released, you have that WWE plague for like a good year. There's no way to get the stink off you. It's just like... <laughs> especially where I never made it to TV. It was just like, uh, essentially to a, a typical common fan who doesn't know, I had just disappeared for a year. You know, mm, they don't know yeah. if I got better or worse or if I continued wrestling. For all they know, I worked at Walmart for the year, you know? So <laughs> yeah. it took me a while. And then finally, you know, I the Super 8 is what really did it for me. The first Super 8 I did is like exposed me to, hey, there's this new kid, because at the time it was just, I broke the Thomas Penmanship. I, I became Tommaso Champ. I kind of reinvented myself. And then I started getting some stuff with, uh, with Ring of Honor. I did some dark, nothing came of it. I ended up going to a camp in OVW actually with, uh, Danny Davis that Jim Cornette happened to be at. And that's my, my shot to then come to a tryout that had, uh, Delirious as well as Cornette. And that snowballed into my now tenure with, uh, the embassy. Hmm. Uh, you started appearing sort of quite often on the uh, the HDNet show sort of early in 2011, wasn't it? Was that sort of uh, from your your time with, with Cornette and Delirious? Was that sort of uh, an offshoot of that? What was that, in 2011? What was it? The the HDNet show when you when you debuted uh, early 2011. Yeah, that, that was right out. Yeah, that was uh, when I did the... I must have done the camp in 2010 or so with... Cornette and uh, then I went to another one like I said and they had said to me we have an idea for you but you know we're not sure about the timing and I did the HD net but then obviously when HD net and the TV deal came down 
the whole embassy idea was, I mean, embassy is very TV friendly, you know, yeah. when you have five characters and a lot of talking and whatnot. So when we lost TV, it was a big up in the air. We were wondering if we, we had jobs anymore. And, uh, Luckily for us, you know, we, we found a niche in this new Sinclair system and it's been working out well. Hmm. What, what was your reaction initially to being paired with uh, Prince Nana and the Embassy? It was cool. Uh, when I had done my first ever doc with them, uh, me and Nana met for the first time. And then both of us were in my first Super 8 of 2008 or 9. I want to say it was 2008. I don't know. Maybe it was 2009. Regardless, both of us were in it. And at that time, Nana took a good liking to me. And we had said from then, he was like, I would, I would love to have you in the embassy one of these days. And we stayed in touch, you know, as, as much as wrestlers do who live far away from one another. And uh, so it was cool. You know, I had a, a decent idea of who Nana was. Nana started contacting me a lot as the embassy thing was developing. And he was pushing hard for it. So I definitely have a big thank you to him to... Uh, give me the opportunity because you know he had a lot of guys to pick from to have be the you know without quote unquote crown jewel the new crown jewel of the embassy so it was, yeah. it was, uh, it was definitely a cool experience hmm. and what, what's he like to be around sort of off camera is he just as sort of crazy as he is on camera he's probably crazier <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> he's yeah he's insane uh you know the song, and I'm I'm so bad at everything when it comes to anything that's not wrestling. But it's like the, uh, it's like Nah Nah. What's my name? Is that how it goes? Oh Every yeah. Every time that song will play, like my whole thought process is like Prince Nana. That's my name, Prince Nana. <laughs> he's insane. He's insane. He's insane. Like it just like rings to me. It's like he's just like he's so over the top, man. He's. <laughs> Eccentric's not the word. I don't know what it is for him. He's nuts, man. He's uh, but it, it's not a bad nuts. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, he's always got business going on. It's really funny. <laughs> You'll, if you get five minutes of his time, you're lucky because in that five minutes, he's probably taking like seven text messages and two phone calls, and he's just like, "What just happened?" And like, <laughs> he might be making deals over there for like oh, five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, and he's just like. But you just made money, but you're talking to me right now. Like, how does this happen? So he's, <laughs> he's a hustler. He really is. He's on top of his game. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, you mentioned how you've wrestled for quite a few uh, other companies uh, on the independent scene. How does Ring of Honor compete to, you know, the other companies you've wrestled for? Oh, they're the top, man. Yeah, everyone knows it, too. It's, it's, I don't know that it's it's the... It's almost like what ECW had, where you put those initials on and instantaneously you get more credibility. Uh, and it's the fans in the atmosphere that does the trick. It's the, they have it down. They have down the lighting. They got down the music. They have down like the barri- uh, barricades that you can kind of slam on and make the noise. They just they thought of a lot of stuff that other people didn't think of, and it was cutting edge when they did it. And now they're just uh, they're benefiting from all of that because it's there's nothing like going and doing an ROH Toronto or Chicago show or, or, or New York. It's just, it's insane. And it's, uh, I got to give it to the fans. It's just, they're diehards. Like they're really committed to the product and that's awesome. Mm. Does, does that put more pressure on you and the other guys that, you know, the Ring of Honor crowd are sort of so, you know, uh, into the product that they demand sort of the, the highest sort of caliber and uh, quality of product at all times. 
uh, I think more than the fans, the the locker room puts the pressure on you. Uh, when yeah. you go to a typical independent show, say there's three ROH, four ROH guys on the show, and obviously there's great independent wrestlers, and so say there's the top two guys that's in that specific locker room, still, you're lucky if half the roster is like really top-notch talent. Whereas when you look around Ring of Honor, every guy you look at, you're like, he could be the next guy who leads this business. He could be the punk. He could be the Daniel Bryan. So when you're in a locker room of 20-something guys who have that capability, who have the potential, the look, the mic skills, the in-ring ability, it's, it makes, that's what puts the pressure on. That's when you look around and say, well, match one through match eight can steal this show, so I better really be on my A game. Like, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're going out there and you're going to have a war. Yeah. Uh, another sort of fan question here from at Joe Dittmar on Twitter. He says, who or what has been your biggest challenge so far in Ring of Honor? Huh. Probably myself. <laughs> uh, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that even as a joke. I, I'm like, I'm a very, I'm self-critical and I push myself. And there's no, <clears throat> there's nobody who's pushed me to physical exertion where I felt like this is this is the guy uh, yet. Uh, you know, Jay Lethal and I are going 15. I think if that had gone an hour, I would have said, oh, this is this is something right here. Uh, and don't get me wrong, everyone can hang. They're great. But it's myself. I'm, I'm the one who watches back the footage and plays it through in my head and says, this is what you need to improve on every night. Uh, there's no one else that's sitting there and saying that to me. So it's, it's on me to make sure that I, I keep stepping up as far as diet, the gym, in ring, you know, watching footage. So I would say myself, I'm the, I'm the biggest critic and the biggest challenge that, that I'm going to face, uh, at least so far. Yeah. And you know, you've, you've won quite a lot of your matches with the, uh, project champa Batbreaker. Um, how did you come up with that, that move? Because it's quite a unique one, isn't it? So... I stole it. That was... <laughs> I don't steal everything. I stole it. I was watching a bunch of YouTube one day, and I saw... Uh, I, I didn't actually see the move, but then come to find out the same guy did that. I was watching Teddy Hart, who did... Um, <clears throat> he did he did the same move, an electric chair drop, and brought them down to like a face plant, but on his knees. And I saw it and I said, wow. Like, I mean, everything I see of Teddy Hart, I, I think to myself, that's what I used to do with my G.I. Joes. Like, how is he doing that with real people? <laughs> but he's like, he's that good. And when I saw it, it triggered in my head. Like, I wonder if anyone tried it. And I remember going to the training facility where I train here, uh, the New England Wrestling Academy, which is in North Andover. It's the old chaotic academy, old killer school. And, and <clears throat> you know, we finished training for the day. And I grabbed a couple of the younger students. And I was like, does anyone want to volunteer to take this and every single guy kind of looked at me like I had two heads like <laughs> no like when I, and finally I, you know I uh, I just I kind of just forced it upon somebody and just, like listen I'm like, don't worry about it we'll just we'll just go really quick and it's it's just something that uh, it's eh, fuck man it hurts but it's uh, it's effective so I kind of stuck with it and then when I started doing it and it got became popular and a lot of people started to recognize me for it is when I would hear from others like oh I've seen such and such do it or I've seen Teddy Hart do it and that's when I realized like yeah yeah that's who I stole it from of course I always <laughs> say oh no yeah I, I came up with it I never knew that Teddy Hart did it but I, I of course he did it he does everything what, there's that wrestling move I can do 
that I can't say Teddy Hot or like Pac or somebody did. Like they do everything ever, and they do it better <laughs> than anybody. <laughs> like what are you gonna do? It's like you just you just hope. You're like, oh, well, I'll do a facial expression. I guess I don't know what else to do. <laughs> uh, another question on Twitter from a certain Kevin Steen that you you might recognise. Um, <laughs> He said, ask Tommaso how he liked his match against White Cedric Alexander on TV a few weeks ago. <laughs> you know what he's talking about, yeah? Or no? Yeah. yeah. We, we that. Oh, that was phenomenal, huh? For anyone <laughs> who missed it or doesn't see the TV product, uh, I wrestled Guy Alexander, who's a white guy, who's uh, I don't, I don't get that name, Guy Alexander. He's a white wrestler who, uh, you know, is known in the independence in New England. And as they did the tail of the tape, good old Mohawk Black Cedric Alexander's face popped up on the screen and all of his stats. And then you kind of panned back in and there was little old white boy guy Alexander. So that was good. I, you know what I, I say? It, I didn't realize it probably until this last year. And it's definitely no knock on HDNet or Sinclair uh, or even TNA for the matter. But the video packaging that WWE does is like that's just what creates complete and utter superstars. I like, I, and I stand by it. I don't think that any, anybody up there is doing anything so different than anybody else is doing in the independence or, or ring of honor or anywhere else. But I remember Shawn Michaels during his hall of fame induction speech, putting over huge, the video editing guys for making him look better than he's ever been. And it sunk in over this past year because like even this mania stuff, if you watch it, that production that they can pull together to promote a match is just like unreal. Like, I don't know who does it or how they do it. Like their camera shots, they catch everything. They never miss a thing. So, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, we're, we're learning as we go, uh, which is what happens when you have a billion dollars put behind your company, but we're learning as we go. And unfortunately we still make mistakes like representing a white male with a black figure. <laughs> what are you going to do? It was like create yeah. a player in uh, in one of the games. <laughs> <laughs> um, another fan question from Marketh on our forum. He said, "Will the Embassy Limited's new investor be revealed, or does it not, not matter to you who they are?" I don't know who they are. If you figure it out, you let me know. Uh, <laughs> I don't even care. What, I mean, what, why would I care? You know, what I mean, they they apparently love me, uh, regardless of if poor Nana is being cut off every other sentence by Hardy Evans. If I'm their, their so-called moneymaker, then I don't need to know anything more than that other than if they get the thumbs up, then I'm happy with it, you know? Yeah. But if, if it was to be revealed, it would probably be Kevin Steen. <laughs> Just a guess. Um, another one from our forum, KL, says, were you a Ring of Honor fan in the past? If yes, who is your favorite wrestler? I guess he means yeah, before you yeah. actually joined the roster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I started uh, being a fan probably like six months before I had my first ever dark in 2006 uh, because I mean, obviously Todd Sinclair was wrestling at the time for them and I didn't know anything about independent wrestling before I started becoming a wrestler. I knew a lot about you know what you see on TV, but that was it. So I was a little bit off on the beginning of the product, uh, but I remember that specific show that I did, uh, my first one with Grizzly seeing CM Punk's old entrance with the music and the lights and just thinking like, wow, like this is something really special. Like I hope this somehow like 
gets put on TV for everyone to see one day. And granted, it's not that same entrance in music, but obviously Punk's talents brought him there. So Punk definitely drew me in uh, a lot. Um, Cabana drew me in a lot when I first started watching. Nigel was a guy who I remember, that was the first time I ever had witnessed with all of their, well, I mean, punk style is similar to what you see on TV, but specifically with Cabana and Nigel, that was the first time I even saw that style of wrestling. And it like blew me away. It was like they had more chain wrestling holes than I would have ever imagined possible. And it turned me on to watching more different wrestling and starting the YouTube stuff and whatnot. So mm. I think those three guys were the three that stood out to me and that I continued to follow. And then I would start to buy, you know, best of DVDs of guys just to make sure I, I knew what they were doing and how, you know, start to study it, see what I could take from them or make my own or whatnot. But those three guys were the first three, I would say. Mm. And this one is sort of ties into that one as well. KL also wants to know which wrestler or wrestlers from RH's past would you like to wrestle now? Uh, Samoa Joe. I would love to wrestle. I think if I picked one, I'd like to pick him. And I think it'd be great too, especially if uh, you know, TNA, the TNA Joe is different than the ROH Joe. And if the yeah. TNA Joe was ever to find his way back into ROH, I think that would on its own create such an insane buzz. And I think our styles uh, would would really get over well. Uh, see who gets who to sit in the corner first, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I would I would really like uh, I would love to wrestle Joe. Mm, that'd be very interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, now looking forward to towards next weekend. Uh, obviously, showdown in the sun. Uh, big weekend for Ring of Honor. Um, you know, Jay Lethal already has you know matches on both nights. So uh, what can we expect to see from from you at Showdown in the Sun? He's not a son of a bitch, too. And, and, and then I see Cole and O'Reilly are like number one contenders. What the hell? I, I, how do you how do you not lose a match and then lose your number one contenders? I don't get that. Uh, I feel like there's some sort of like conspiracy theory. My goal, I, you know, I don't obviously I don't know who I'm wrestling. Uh, if I'm wrestling, I don't know anything. Why would I? Uh, but I know that I'm going to be there, and I plan to bring the title home but not give it to anybody. Because what good is taking a title if you don't get to show it off? Uh, aside from that, I mean, my goal going into it is to somehow create a buzz that makes people start talking. Because I think that's everybody's goal going into any big show that gets a lot of attention. You want, regardless of who they come to see, you want them to leave talking about you. And that's the goal. So whether that means uh, I have to make an entrance like Shawn Michaels to WrestleMania or that means I'm just have to go throw chairs at people. I just my hope is to uh, is to definitely make a statement. Mm-hmm. And looking forward now towards the, the rest of 2012, what sort of plans or goals do you, do you have you set yourself for the, for the rest of the year in Ring of Honor? Uh, one specific goal that I had after final battle, after uh, seeing the atmosphere and feeling the atmosphere. I never care about being billed as the main event, um, but I always care about being the most sought after attraction of the night. And that's my goal going into 2012 is to somehow find myself in a spot where regardless of who the main event is, the people are talking more about my match going into final battle than anybody else's. Uh, and there's a plethora of ways I can think to make that happen. 
and it's on me to make that happen. So that's definitely, you know, I think, uh, I think Steve has been stealing that, that cake lately, uh, regardless of who he's wrestling or where he's at, you want to know and see what he does. And I would like to steal that spot from him. <laughs> okay, then. And uh, I think that sort of uh, wraps it up. Uh, before you go, uh, how can fans uh, interact with you and sort of gain contact with you? Well, I now have a Twitter, which needs desperately more followers, <laughs> uh, which is uh, at Project Champa and Champa C-I-A-M-P-A. Uh, I have a YouTube, which is youtube.com backslash Project Champa, and then a Facebook, which is Tommaso Champa. Uh, I'm just kind of getting this the groove of the whole internet thing. Uh, but yeah, Twitter is probably the, the easiest and best way, because that's what all the cool kids do, I was told. So uh, <laughs> if you want to follow me, that'd be nice, because for crying a lot, I think I'm like the least popular Ring of Honor star right now. <laughs> so it goes into what I said about by the end of the year. I like to change that. That's uh, that's kind of my goal. My goal is to make people understand me more and understand why what I'm going to be doing is uh, is going to be something they're going to talk about for years to come. Hmm. Okay, everyone, so go go and check uh, Tomasa out on the, on Twitter and uh, on YouTube and and Facebook. And uh, don't forget next weekend, Sherlin in the Sun on uh, Friday and Saturday, two uh, two nights of uh, should be brilliant wrestling for just twenty dollars. So. Uh, Go over to gofightlive.tv and uh, make sure you order those uh, two shows. Thanks again once more, Tommaso, for, for joining us. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. And definitely check out the uh, showdown in the sun. It's, uh, it's built up to be something special. So check it out at Go Fight Live. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. Have a good night.